Good evening. Good evening. I'd like you to just pause with me as I pray. Father, this evening we, we pause again to say thank you for our time together here. Thank you for our time of worship. I believe with all of my heart that you received worship tonight and we thank you for it. And Lord, I pray that you will just help me as I share what I believe that you have laid on my heart, that hearts will indeed be open to receive the truths of your word and that you again will get the glory, the honor, and the praises that is due unto you. Because it's to you, O Lord, all honor, glory, and praises is due. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I'm going to take a few minutes to look at three verses really in um, the book of James, James chapter 1. Uh, but there are a few things that I'd like us to remind ourselves about as we begin our study tonight. We must keep in mind uh, that when James wrote this letter, he was writing to believers. That's very important to remember. He was writing to Christians. And one of the problems uh, here, as we see it, that he was talking about persecution that was going on. Uh, and the problem is when we go through persecution, the tendency is to doubt the goodness of God. I don't know about you, but over and over I've had clients who came to me and would say to me, if God is so good, and if he is in control, why is he allowing X, Y, Z to happen to me? And maybe you know somebody who might have said that. Maybe you might have said it. But James responds to this problem by affirming three things about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. First of all, we see that God is good. He is the only source of goodness. And we need to, we need to make sure we get that down. He is good and he is the source of goodness. But secondly, he is the unchanging source of goodness. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. We change, but God does not change. But not only is he the source of goodness, but he is the source of the supreme act of goodness. All of God's action is good. 
we may not perceive it to be good. That depends on where we are. But they are all good. And when we look at these three points of goodness, the goodness of God, we need to note something else. The supreme act of goodness is the source of goodness of our salvation. Without the goodness of God, without the grace of God, without the mercy of God, I am willing to guarantee 90% of us wouldn't be in here this evening. We would have been somewhere else doing something else that is more fun. But because of this, we are children of God. We are born again into the family of God. And this even takes us, the believers, to another level. And that level helps us to understand how we can stand up under persecution. When it happens, we are able to stand up. But my point tonight, if you've got a bulletin, is to assure us that God does not test us with evil. And again, there are so many individuals that I've dealt with who blame God. And I must admit, there are times that I believe I blame God too. So Lord, why did you allow this to happen? You shouldn't allow this to happen. I'm not like I remember a situation when I asked God what glory he could get out of what was happening. That's foolish. What does me? I'd like us to begin at verse 12 tonight. And it reads of James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I want to note here also that temptation is used in two sense when we look at the testing of trial. We just see that God tests us, but whenever he does, it's good, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a few, few minutes. But let's move into verse 13. Here we note that James is now going to talk about the temptation, which is temptation to do evil. There are those who say that the Lord tests them when it wasn't the Lord at all. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. And what probably was going on in their life was as a result of something they might have done. 
Uh, James deals with something here which is very important for us as God's children. To understand, we need to really understand because we often, and I'll say this again, blame God or blame someone, even the devil, for something that didn't go according to our plans. I almost did that tonight and I said, no, you can't, you're dealing with this tonight, you can't do that. All of a sudden my computer home decided not to work and I wanted to say to Helen, now this is just the devil, you know, because I wanted to look something up. But I didn't say a word and I did something and the computer stopped working. But the tendency is there. That's all I'm trying to say. I don't, maybe it doesn't happen to you. But uh, it does happen to me. I, I, I must admit. You would note, if you don't mind me going back to verse 12 again, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. We need, when we are going under trial, by God, we need to persevere. That's the point number one. Why? Because when he has stood the test, when we would have gone through it, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those, again, who love in believers like us. Now, testing is one of God's method of developing us, as you all know, undoubtedly, in the Christian faith. And this is the way he goes about enabling us to grow and develop patience in our lives while we are still here, because this is where we need to learn patience, right here. But he also has something in mind for the future, which is completely different from when the devil is testing you, because the only thing he is trying to do is destroy. But God has something in mind for the future, and that is if you persevere under these trials, if you stand the test, he has a crown for you and for me. I don't know about you, but it gives me a reason to want to go through it. Do I like it? No. I don't like testing but maybe God is refining me for one reason or yet the other. Um, this is the way, as I indicated, that God helps us to become what we could not become without the testing. So he does it. But in many cases, as I said before, and I'll say it again, we blame others 
or we blame Satan, or we may even blame God. But I want to say again, we do not have to blame God. We should not blame God because God will not test you with evil. If you are tested by God, it's going to be for his honor and his glory and for your good. And we need to remember that because he cannot test us with evil. That's not a part of his nature. He is a good God. He is a just God. He is a loving God. And he cannot test us with evil. That's not a part of his nature. We are reminded when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. I want us to think about this. In the very, very beginning, since the time begun from the fall of man, this is what it was all about. Blaming. Remember when the Lord came into the garden, Adam and Eve had already disobeyed him and partake of the fruit, and he asked Adam what he had done. You remember his response? Adam said, The woman you gave me, she gave me, of the tree, and I ate. Now, I wish he had answered the question, but I probably would have done the same thing. He really passed the box, so to speak. But he says, you're not going to pass that off on me. He said the same thing. The serpent deceived me. Genesis 3.13 In actuality, all three, well, of course, Satan, we don't know, it doesn't say in the scripture what Satan said, but he didn't have legs to stand on. But in all actuality, the three of them was guilty. And they were responsible for what they did. But we are still, we still haven't learned, we are still blaming. My wife have a thing, and I, I crack a lot. I don't know if that's a thing in me or not, but if I couldn't find something, I'll say, Helen, what you did with such and such a thing? And she says, you're always blaming me for something. 
you you know somebody like that well that's that's how i'm going to find whatever it is i want but instead of saying helen have you seen xyz i said what did you do with such and such okay but <laughs> we've got to blame somebody so take heart brother take heart brothers <laughs> take heart uh it reminds me of a story of a young boy who was always getting himself in trouble in school and teacher pulled him aside and said to him son why is it that you continue to get yourself in trouble he looked down at the floor he looked up and then he looked at the teacher he says the devil made me do it in other words you couldn't see the devil up or down so he couldn't back out of it he says the devil made me do it but we are not, it seems as if we 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 are going to find someone to blame he is of course the accuser of the brethren we know that but we need to start putting the blame where it is rather than trying to pass it on to somebody else we often hear questions like this why is god allowing the disturbance that is out there that they say is coming this way why god allow that why all the flood going on in the us why so many people are aborting children abortion and we want to blame god or we'll blame the doctors or we'll blame somebody but we are not taking the responsibility may i say to you we may blame god today for the results of all that is happening around us but if we really examine ourselves we will note that it's greed the greed of mankind as a whole that is what brings about all the chaos for instance the flood that i i watched on 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 tv last night they diverted the river by building a dam so they send it where they want it to go because of their greed what they want and then they build in the bed that the river used to run through so what happens when you have an over flow of water it's going to take the easiest part and houses i seen houses floating down they build in the river bed i'll be honest with you i've always wanted a house right on the beach because where i was born i could run right out of my front door into the sea and i always wanted that and and i finally got a piece of beautiful piece of property that i can do just that but there's something going on in my mind in case of a hurricane because this is right on the ocean there are consequences to my action yes 
It'll be beautiful as long as everything is okay. The sea breeze coming in. Yes, I can run out first thing in the morning right into the water. Beautiful water. But there are consequences. Our motherfuck is somewhat green. I saw a house some months ago. They built it on the top of this high peak and the ocean. They were looking down at the ocean. And one morning, and they got up half of the house was in the ocean. And by the next morning, the rest of it was in the ocean. But it was a beautiful sight to behold. And then you look at the ocean from their living room. I mean, what a sight. But there are consequences. I believe it all in my heart. Man, Bill, too close to the sea and to the river. And when the natural causes occur, then we pay the consequences. But man thinks it's more pleasant, it's beautiful, ah, it's maybe even better for commercial use because ships coming in, you probably be some of the first to get the best of whatever product it is. So again, greed is in there somewhere. It is, I believe, actually greed, the greed of man that causes him to build where it is really dangerous for him to build. God cannot be tempted. Don't blame God when the house falls. Because the Bible blames us when he says when we build, we need to build on solid foundation, on rock, not on sand. Because if you do, you're going to pay the consequences. Um, I'd like you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me. Oh boy. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to even wait for you to get there, but I hope you can catch up. Catch up with me. We read... Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. That, my friend, was a sin, because this is something that God told them not to do. Because whenever you do something like that, it's more than what meets the eye. Uh, David at that point probably all of his enemies were in his hands. He was in control of them. Nothing to do, so he had to find something for them to do. When the count was over, there was over 1,100,000 fighting men. What do you think that did to him? Pride. 
came in. Look how many fighting men are available in the time of trouble. But that I love the way it turned out. David confessed he had sinned. And that's what we need to do. That's where a lot of us go wrong. We are not willing to confess. We rather blame somebody else. But David took the blame. For instance, Gideon, when God called him to save uh, Israel, he started out with 3,000 men. But when he stopped, it was 300. Why? So that he didn't take the glory that belonged to God. And that's what happens. We end up trying to take the glory that belonged to God, and God says he would give his glory to no man. So for that reason, he wants us to depend on him. With 300 men, there is no way they could say, look what my hands have done. Only God could have brought them victory. But the question that I have for you, do you really think God incited David to do that? Well, there's something that I want us to look up again, very briefly. When we look at 2 Samuel, you will have to recognize that this was man's viewpoint of what was happening. Because if you just read it the way I read it and left it there, you will say it was God who incited David to do that. Won't you, normally? Okay, but as I indicated, that was man's viewpoint of the outlook. But I want us to look at God's viewpoint now as to exactly what happened. This same story is told again in First Chronicle chapter 21 verse 1. And you can turn there because it's the same story but it has a completely different twist. Here is what it says. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David. This is God's viewpoint. The first one was man's viewpoint. This was the way man saw it. But now we are getting the story from God. Satan was the one who incited David to take senses, the senses of Israel. And I, again, I'd like to read a bit of this. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troop, Go and count the Israelites from Bathsheba to, to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. As I indicated to you, watch out for pride in a case like that. And over one million, one hundred thousand men were counted. And Joab didn't even count all of them because this was his way of getting back. Because if you continue to read that you will find out that Joab was totally against this because he knew it was not God's will to do this. But because the king was who he was, he had to follow through. So, the question is, who provoked David to sin? Was it God? 
Was it Satan? Or who? Thank you. Don't be too hurry to blame even Satan. Because the next verse of this chapter tells us. Again, we go to James chapter 1 verse 14. James is helping us to see where this all comes from. And here is what it says. But each one is tempted when he by his own desires. That's in here, inside. Our own desires. He is, and I like the way that the New International Version puts it, dragged away. You know that that's not the way you should go, but you 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 desire it, so you hang around it long enough, like Eve. And next thing you know, you are dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So who is to be blamed? It's me. It isn't God, it isn't Satan. It's my desire. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived. Dear brothers, we can be deceived. That's what our brother Anton said to people. Even Christians, we can be deceived. In conclusion, because my time is gone, so I want to, I'll stop here. We are talking here about the sins of the flesh. Who is responsible when you, by your own desire, is enticed? When you yield to that temptation? God is not responsible for that. God said to Eve and to Adam, do not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden of good and of evil. Don't do it. And I can't tell you the number of clients I had that asked me, why did God plant it there? He shouldn't plant it there if he didn't want them to eat. Again, they, they're looking for a way out. They want, who are they, what are they doing? They're blaming God for planting the tree there. But God also planted the tree of knowledge and of good and of evil. And he said you could eat of all the other trees. But they didn't eat of that. So who, who are we going to blame? It's all about what's on the inside. God is not responsible. The devil is not responsible. You and I are responsible for the decisions that we make. 
Listen to what God says to Israel and Judah. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 18. Your own conduct and action have brought this upon you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is. How it pierces the heart. When we do wrong, like David, it pierced his heart. Mind you, Joab told him, you shouldn't be doing this. He says, all, no matter how many there are, they belong to you. They are dedicated to you. So don't worry about how many there are. But he said, go do it. It was in here. Even David, a man after God's own heart, he made the choice to disobey God and do exactly what God told him not to do. I let, 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 let me just end with this. I believe that we could solve a great deal of our problems of which we blame someone else if we would say to the living Lord Jesus, who is right now at God's right hand interceding for us. Come into his presence and say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned. It's my fault. I commit and I I commend myself to you. Thank you for your grace, for your wisdom, for your guidance, your direction. Thank you because you said that if I confess my sin, you are faithful, you are just, and you will forgive. All he says that we need to do is to confess. There is this song I used to know some time ago that goes something like this. I forgot how it stopped. It says, yeah, it's me, O Lord. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, it's not my father, it's not my sister, it's not my brother. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Shall we pray? Father, thank you this, for this evening. Thank you for this time that we could look briefly into your word. And Lord, I would be the first to say, it's me, Lord. It's not anyone else, but I have sinned. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your compassion, which fails not. Thank you because you are indeed a good God and that we can depend upon you. You do not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord God, I commit and commend each one here this evening. And Lord, I pray that we will examine ourselves 
and allow you through your Holy Spirit to convict if conviction is necessary. Or bring to mind the things that we might have blamed others for, that it wasn't them at all, it was about us. And we will be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling, may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ abide with us now and always. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much.